Liverpool. Still Madrid. Looks like Shannon! Early in the game. He's entitled to be a little nervous. But was he? You bet your life he wasn't. Miller. Lovely cushion header. Vigero! You beauty! What a headshot! What a hit! It's finished and Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. And let me tip my hat to the genesis of this goal. Balotelli, Aguero! All right, welcome to the Corner Kick Podcast. I am Brooks Lambeer. Uh, we have J.R. Eskelson on from uh, Top Drawer Soccer. Uh, how's it going, J.R.? Going quite well. Thank you for having me, Brooks. No problem. How's the West Coast been? Not bad. We're still suffering through a heat wave, which you know how that goes in California. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Let's start with defense first. Uh, so the Big Ten has two teams in the top five in the country and goals against. We have Penn State who is ahead of Michigan State. Penn State uh, about .27 goals against, and Michigan State .38. You liked Andrew Wolverton, Andrew Wolverton from the start of the season. He was one of your Big Ten players to watch. So did you expect Penn State to have this successful of a start to the season? No. No, I, I never would have figured this out. And I I think the, the story that Penn State's been going with is that they recruited a freshman to fill into their defense, and they are planning to run a Four four two or four three three, some formation like that, and the freshman was injured on his first day on campus. So now they're running like a three five two in their games, and to play a three five two is kind of difficult. It's, it's a it's not a formation most players are used to, especially at the college level. So Penn State's doing this, and they're doing this exceptionally well, and they only have three defenders. So a lot's being dependent on of the midfielders tracking back to defend. A lot's being dependent on from the forwards to set a high pressure line too. So what Penn State's doing is really quite impressive, especially on national scene to only be conceding 0.27 goals or however many goals they could see through this stage of the season. It's remarkable. And Wolverton, he, he's he's faced quite he's faced a few shots, but things that's impressed me the most about him. Is when he's called on for that one big shot per game, he's been there and he's made that incredible save. And I think that's what really caught my eye from Wolverton this season. Uh, then you have Connor Maloney, who's had, who has eight goals on the season. Uh, there's been two games where he scored at least two goals. Like you said, playing that three-five-two, uh, has that really helped Maloney score goals? Since it's more of like kind of an offensive uh, mindset for a formation. Yeah, it's definitely opened things up for him because he has more options on who he's going to have a pass coming from. So it's different angles that he's receiving passes from. And Connor Maloney is the type of player who's dynamic, who's quick, who can have that burst of pace to separate him from a defender. So he sort of needs a little bit of help to lead him into spaces. But once he has that ball in space, he's very dangerous. And he's just been so prolific with the ball on his feet this year. He's just He's been rifling the ball at home. He's been finding the right spots on when to put it away. And even for a guy his size, I think he's listed at five six. I think he's even put a header home this year, which is which is pretty incredible. And then let's move to Michigan State. Obviously, cover Michigan State this year. They look very good. Uh, their defense had me a little nervous um, in their exhibition against Washington, but uh, you know they've stood stood tall. Um, you know, at home they lost to Valpo one 0 um, which was a very good and Valpo team that plays them tough every year. 
and then they go on the road to Ohio State. They give up three goals and a three-two loss. You know, what do you what do you make of this Penn State uh, or this Michigan State team? Uh, you know, they go on the road to Maryland and they beat them at Mar- uh, beat Maryland at Maryland. Did you expect Michigan State uh, to be this good through the first ten games? Uh, yes and no. I, I thought Michigan State would be right in this ballpark. I don't know if I'd expect them to be as good as they are. I mean, if you throw away that Ohio State result, and I think for some instances you can call that an anomaly. The defense for Ohio State has been pretty much amazing. I mean, sans the Ohio State result, they've only given up one goal from the rest of their teams. And I I think you've seen Zach Bennett step in and do exceptionally well to transfer from Virginia. I think his best game was probably that Maryland game when he saved a shot off the line in the last second of the game. But overall, I think the Michigan State defense gets a lot of credit, and deservedly so, and Zach Bennett gets a lot of credit. But... I think it's a whole team effort. Everyone sort of buys into the ideologies that the coaches have, have preached there. And I think it's sort of coming around for Michigan State this year. And I, I think what we've seen from Michigan State so far is the blueprint for how they want to play moving forward as long as this coaching staff there, which I think is going to be a very long time. And I think that's really encouraging for the Michigan State fans. Does Michigan State need to score goals, though? They, I mean, can they can't just grind out these games and, you know, win 1-0 on a late goal or go on uh, overtime and try to win it. Uh, don't They need to put some uh, goals up on the board, don't they? Yeah, and I mean, obviously scoring goals is the hardest part of this game. So th- th- there's, there's more ways to do it, and I think Michigan State, probably waiting for one of the players to step forward. I think the the attackers haven't had the season, I would have thought. Jay Chapman's been okay, but I think my opinion of him going into the season was he was probably going to have a better season than he's had so far. I, I think things haven't quite opened up for him. I think the same could be for Tim Cruz. I think Adam Montague's done okay, but all of these guys are good players, good experienced players, but I think there should be a little bit of higher expectations for them at this stage, and they should maybe have a better second half of the season as things start clicking more for this group. Yeah, well, I mean, Adam had that concussion. He was out for a couple games, and then Jay got hurt early, and Timmy's been going through a little um, injuries as well. But that's kind of cleared up a little bit. Uh, I guess moving on to Indiana, the number 10 in the NSCAA coaches poll, 7-1-3. and three. Good wins over Marquette, St. Louis, and uh, a Louisville team. Ty Georgetown, Butler, Northwestern. And they lose to Penn State this year. You know, to be at our... Uh, Big Ten preview podcast, you know, we weren't sure, uh, especially you, about how Indiana was going to be this year. Uh, they don't have that one-star player, as you kind of uh, told us. It, what do you make of Indiana this year? They shocked me. Like, just simply put, Indiana shocked me. And I, I, this all should be credited to what the coaching staff has done and putting the whole team together instead of just building around a few blue-chip players. They've really built the whole team that – has multiple contributors at times. I think Tanner Thompson, the brother of Tommy Thompson, has stepped up recently. I think he has two goals in the last three games or something like that. And they're, they're sort of finding these key contributors at the right moment. But it, it's not a team that really relies on anyone because they have multiple pieces that can score goals. I did not think Indiana would be this good this year. I think just looking at the roster, you're kind of surprised that they're doing this well. But they, they sort of turned the stage. I mean, last year they really struggled with defense, and they struggled with actually quite a few facets of the game. And this year, everything sort of clicked well. So I, I think it's just probably the right mentality of the group, and it, it sort of made this team come out of nowhere and kind of surprised the Big Ten. I don't think I was alone in thinking this was going to be a down year for Indiana, but they, they've definitely surprised quite a few people in a lot of their results. But 
recent ones against St. Louis and Louisville were quite a surprise. I mean, pulling a 3-0 win over Louisville on the road is nothing to sneeze at, and that's a huge win for them and for the conference. Would you say kind of motivation was behind the factor for them to do so well this year? It, it might have been. I mean, it, it, it's tough to say in those situations because I imagine Indiana, for the most part, they're isolated from things, and they don't really maybe necessarily pay attention to the national media as much because they have their history. They have, they know what it takes to win championships, especially their coach. He understands what it takes to get a group from August all the way to playing in December and playing for that title game. So I think they have a maybe a different approach to how things go, different from maybe some other teams that put that blue chip or that chip on their shoulder. And, and Indiana... They don't necessarily need it as much, but it, it could have been a factor in how they've approached this year. Oh, the good old Maryland Terps that come into the Big Big Ten season this year. They're four, five, and two. They currently sit in seventh place with four points in the Big Ten. You know, last year they struggled early, but they found a way to get to the national championship game. Their offense, they lose a lot of players, offensive players uh, from last year's team. Is the physicality of the Big Ten getting to Maryland, or did they just lose too many offensive players? I think it's both. I think this is not a good Maryland team. I think there there's just too many missing pieces here. I think the the amount of players who left combined with the amount well the few recruits who were supposed to go there, mainly Romain Gall and Jordan Hamilton, they both left for professional deals before they even enrolled in Maryland. And that left them with a weak recruiting class and it left them with a weak attacking group because they didn't have as many returners as they probably expected. So they were sort of shorthanded going into the season, and they haven't really had the players there that you'd think of a Maryland squad would be. I think it's just a down year for that team. But the Big Ten is also really good this year. Penn State, Michigan State, Indiana, these teams that we've already mentioned, these are quality teams that on the national scene would be quality teams in any conference. So it's definitely a combination of the two things. I think Maryland may have had a little more success this year if they were playing in the ACC and they were playing against some of the younger teams in the ACC, like Duke, who's playing six or seven freshmen each game. But the Big Ten doesn't really have that forgiving of a nature to their teams. Every game's pretty much a battle. And then we have Rutgers and Wisconsin, who sit at the bottom of the table. Wisconsin's in last, overall 2-7-1. You know, they played a tough non-conference schedule against Georgetown and Marquette, which they lost, and they lose to Michigan in one overtime, and they also lose to Maryland. And then you have Rutgers, uh, who they lost to as well. And then Rutgers, who sits ahead of them with a point, 3-6-1 and one overall. Been very up and down, but they've been close in a lot of their games. Lose one now to Syracuse, uh, tie Michigan State in two overtimes, lose one now to Penn State, and then they lose 2-1 to Indiana. Did you expect that type of performance from both these teams this season, or are you kind of like not surprised that they're at the bottom of the table? Uh, not so surprised. I thought Wisconsin would be a little bit better than they are. I, I like the Wisconsin recurring class, and I think in a couple of years they're going to be good. But this year they're taking their lumps, and it's, it's, it's going to be tough for how young they are. But I, I think that team will be good again, and they'll be good again soon. But I don't really have much expectation from them for the rest of the year. Rutgers is kind of the Rutgers we've seen recently. Like They hang around in games, but they've never really had a sort of difference maker, someone who really steps up and scores those timely goals, or a goalkeeper who makes that timely save, that, that one save he needs to make per game. But there, there's decent players on Rutgers, and it's just maybe missing like the extra two or three players that really push them over the edge. But 
I think Rutgers is a little better than I thought they'd be, and Wisconsin's maybe not quite as good as I thought they'd be. But I, I think both programs are definitely showing good signs moving forward. Yeah, when they played here at Michigan State, they, uh, Michigan State had multiple scoring opportunities, and then Rutgers held very strong. Uh, J.P. Correa was a very talented player on the ball and uh, almost had a couple of good shots. Ding one off the post late in the uh, second overtime, which could have ended, uh, which could end the game uh, uh, possibly. But uh, it seems like Rutgers just they like to stick around, and but sometimes they just don't have the conditioning to uh, to maintain uh, that zero zero win or to pull a, pull a goal out to get the W. Yeah, and JP, I mean, he's a good player, and he came back from injury, I think it was two years ago now, so he's finally rounding back into form, but yeah, he's definitely a very good player, and I think Rutgers depends on him, and they're they definitely maybe need another piece next to him to maybe find those goals moving forward. All right, I mean, let's move to, to Ann Arbor, to U of M. Uh, they just beat number three Notre Dame at home on Tuesday, but I, I have to say this Notre Dame team doesn't look the same as last year without Harrison Ship, uh, you know, losing to Kentucky earlier in the season at home. You know, the Michigan's three, five, and two on the season, and they sit in fourth place with five points in the Big Ten. Is U of M better than the record shows? Oh, uh, Michigan's like my kryptonite. Like every year I go into the year thinking Michigan's going to be, this is their year, that they're going to be good. And every year they've let me down since then. I think in the preview podcast we did i think i picked michigan michigan state and maryland mm-hmm. to for the big 10 title and from what i've seen from michigan so far i just don't see them contending it's, it's just not there yet and I, I think part of it has to do with new players being there and i think the other part has to do with the way they play and there's a certain style to the way the michigan's playing and it doesn't really fit quite yet with the personnel that's there they have a freshman starting as the center forward in a 4-3-3, and sometimes that works, but other times you sort of need a more experienced player because you're asking that player to hold off defenders, and that's basically asking an 18-year-old to hold off a 22-year-old, and that's not going to work all the time, especially in the Big Ten where you're running into some bigger defenders, some more physical players, some players who have been in the weight room a little longer, and I think you're sort of seeing that with Michigan. There's talent there. They can knock the ball, they, they, they have good skill, but the way they play sometimes doesn't necessarily lend itself to getting results. And they played well against Penn State. They were in that game for the most part, and Andrew Wolverton just made an amazing save to keep it 1-0. But they they didn't generate enough chances to really justify pulling out a full result from that game for pulling out three points. And once you get behind in the conference, you really have to start winning games. I mean, they had the Rutgers this weekend, and all of a sudden that starts looking like a must-win game for them to start continuing in the conference. So you get behind, and these situations start mounting up. The pressure starts building, and that adds even more pressure on a younger team. So it starts getting more difficult. I think Fort Michigan is a better team than you think they are this year, but I don't necessarily think Michigan's going to be that good this year because they're going to run into more hurdles going forward with how young they are and how how many new pieces they have. But they do have good pieces. Tyler Arnold's still one of my favorite midfielders in the Big Ten, and maybe he'll just put this team on his back for the next month or two and lead them into the conference tournament. Uh, Colin McAtee had a hat trick against Notre Dame. He looked pretty good as well. Is it difficult when you're switching between a senior goalkeeper like Grinwis and then a freshman goalkeeper and Evan Loro. That's that's such a strange dynamic. Um, in the Penn State game, they brought on Loro for the last, I think, 12 minutes of the game. And they basically asked him to play sweeper-keeper. So he was playing 
25 to 30 yards off his line just to use his feet. And it's like you have a senior there, and you're trusting him to play the majority of the game, and then you're bringing your freshman on to play a small fraction of the game to change, like, the style. I'm not sure how effective that really is, and I'm not entirely sure what the Michigan coaching staff is actually looking for beyond the fact they maybe think Adam's a little bit better with his feet than Adam is. But I, I think that could create a little bit of a risk, and I think that could be a little bit harder on the players. But on the other hand, you see Washington on the, on the coast doing it with their two keepers, and they switch games, and they've been pretty successful doing it as both keepers are pretty good. And, Evan Loro and Adam Grinwitz are both pretty good keepers, so it could work, but just the fact they're changing them in the game is such a strange dynamic to me. And then you have Northwestern, who's in third place in the Big Ten with five points, and then Ohio State, who's in second place in the Big Ten with six points. Northwestern goes on their trip to New Jersey, does well, goes out to California, does well, struggles a little bit for three games, then picks it back up. Then you have Ohio State team, which is really... The intriguing team, I feel like, in the Big Ten, where they don't they start off poorly, they beat Louisville, then they beat a Michigan State team at home. Uh, what do you make of these two teams, Northwestern and Ohio State? That's tough. Let's start with Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State is a team that does well when they're an underdog. I mean that in the sense that when the other team takes the ball at Ohio State and tries to dominate possession and dominate their time on the ball, Ohio State is always going to be in that game, and they're always going to be able to compete because they're built to counterattack. They have very quick forwards, very quick wingers. Marcus McCrary is a very good freshman for them, and Danny Jensen is a very good sophomore for them, and they're both very speedy players who can catch teams on the break. But when you're asking Ohio State to break down another team, to be the one who has to take the game to the other team, it's a little bit harder because of the way the teams are built. They're not necessarily built for that possession style, for the stringing passes together to break down another team. They're built for that quick attack. And when that option is taken away, Ohio State isn't going to be able to complete their game plan, and it's going to be a little bit more difficult. That's why when I look at Ohio State and the results are all over the map, you look at who they're playing. When they're playing against a team like Oakland, who they lost, I believe it was last night or Tuesday, mm-hmm. Oakland's not going to necessarily take the game to Ohio State. Oakland's going to let Ohio State take the game to them and then try to catch Ohio State on the counter. So those types of games are difficult for Ohio State, and that's where I think they'll struggle. But it's also where I think Ohio State's going to be good in the Big Ten because the Michigan State, the Penn State, the Indians are all going to try to dominate the ball against Ohio State because they have the type of players to do that, and then they're going to try to break down Ohio State. Ohio State, on the other hand, has the Ohio players to punish any sort of mistake because they have the speed going forward. So Ohio State is going to be one of those teams that compete in the Big Ten, but they're also going to have some of those shocking results from time to time. So I, I, I think moving forward, Ohio State's really going to be a team to watch. In, in terms of the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to be wary of who they're drawing it. Because I think Ohio State's probably going to end up making it just based off their, their results so far. But Moving on to Northwestern, uh, I caught them in person. They played UCSC, and Tyler Miller is another one of those great goalkeepers in the Big Ten. And in front of him is a pretty solid defense. They're not spectacular, but they're pretty solid. They don't make mistakes. They, they do a good job being in front of the ball and blocking it, so Miller doesn't have to make a ton of saves. But there's, there's sure something missing from this Northwestern team. There, there's not that player that... Is, is exceptional or anything like that. And Clint Ritter was kind of that player for the last few years. He's the big time midfielder of the year, like two years ago. 
and he, he sort of was the, the engine of the team. He kept the pace of the game. He kept the ball on his feet for a lot of time. And I don't think Northwestern's done a great job of replacing him. I think they have good pieces this year, Joey Fustry and previously mentioned Miller and a few of their defenders, but they, they don't necessarily have the midfielders that are going to make them Northwestern. That, that could be really good. I, I think Northwestern's a solid team, but they're not spectacular. Well, in our preseason podcast, like you did mention, uh, you said the three M's were going to be the ones that would probably do well in the Big Ten, uh, Maryland, Michigan, and Michigan State. You talked about how Michigan, Michigan was your kryptonite. Do you still like the three teams, though, for one of them to either win, to win the uh, Big Ten regular season and the Big Ten tournament? I'm going to say no. I, I like Penn State to win the regular season. I think things just set up well for them. I think Bob Warning's done an excellent job there. I like the pieces he's brought together this season. But I think Michigan State might be the best team that's been built for the conference tournament. I, I, I think the way Michigan State plays maybe lends its hand a little bit more to be being able to battle through games and keep games close. I know there's some concern about when they're scoring goals, and they're, but they're getting those goals. They're, they're getting those goals right now. It's, I'm sure for Michigan State fans, they're, they're wondering, like, when are we going to score more than one goal? But I, I, I think Michigan State is, is probably still – the favorite or one of the favorites to the Big Ten tournament, I, I think the big three you're looking at right now are probably Michigan State, Indiana, and Penn State. So, I mean, at least they got one of the three right to start the season. That's a good point. Uh, I feel like Penn State always does well in the regular season, though. I mean, they won the regular season last year, but then just when it came to the Big Ten tournament, they, they got knocked out, I, f- I think, pretty early in the Big Ten. I, I think there's ways to, to, to beat Penn State in one-off games. I, I think there's ways the coaches of the Big Ten store figured out that they, they really need to sit back and they really need to take their turns countering Penn State. I think Michigan sort of put a little bit of a blueprint out there on how you beat them. The way they play with their three defenders leaves a lot of space in the channel. Crossing's not a huge successful thing, especially in college soccer, but you're definitely going to have to beat Penn State down the channel because they're so solid in the middle of the field. So I, I think if you find a team like an Ohio State who has that speed on the wing, they could definitely give Penn State problems in a, in a knockout third situation. All right, how about a player in the Big Ten that's been the biggest surprise to you? The biggest surprise to me, oof, huh. I, this, this probably isn't fair, but I thought Ahinga Soleimani, the freshman from Michigan, would have had a better season so far than he's had. I think the Michigan coaches have gave him a ton of time on the field. I'm not entirely sure what his stats are, but they, they, they aren't screaming out at me. And I, I think for a player of his pedigree, the U-17 appearances, the U-18 appearances, the U-20 radar sort of deal, I, I think he, uh, there was expectations, especially for me, that he'd do better in his first season at Michigan. And I haven't really seen it yet. I haven't seen it there. I think also Neil Corvos from Maryland hasn't quite been there yet. Very good player, but... He hasn't really fit into the Maryland style yet, and I think that sort of surprised me. I, I felt like he was going to be the key player for Maryland this season, and the fact he hasn't really filled that role sort of surprised me, and I think it's contributed to Maryland's maybe lackluster year. How about a player that really needs to step up for their team in the Big Ten? Um, I, I'd probably look at Tyler Arnon. I, I think when you look at the schedule and when you look at the standings right now you're going to look at Michigan probably moving forward trying to trying to make a push especially in his senior year and I think this is where they're going to depend on him as the 
the leader of that team to put the team on on his back and, and carry the team into the postseason. And I think he's going to need to step up and take more command of that of that program and trying to get that team moving forward. Um, I, I feel bad neglecting on the Michigan State, Indiana, and Penn State, but the players on those teams have all done well, and they've all done well collectively as a group. I think you mentioned the injuries for Michigan State earlier, and I think if you see those guys return to form, I think you'll see a better effort from the Michigan State attack, and I'll definitely hope things and I think there's an expectation that those guys will definitely get back to 100% and get back to that Michigan State attack to capable of Okay, so I have some questions from some Twitter followers. From the Red Cedar Rowdies, the student section for MSU Soccer, they want to know how many Big Ten teams are going to make the men's NCAA tournament now that we're halfway through the college soccer season? I will say four. I'm thinking Indiana, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State. And then Northwestern would be the next one where I think would be like maybe make it, but probably right on the bubble when all when it all shakes out. And then we have one more question um, from Regan. He wants to know: Does the MLS draft inhibit MLS talent and or growth of players? Yes, <laughs> I, I guess would be the short answer for that. I mean, the MLS draft isn't a great idea, and the way MLS teams approach it isn't great either. There's some teams that put a lot of resources in it, specifically Sporting Kansas City does an exceptional job at scouting players throughout the college season and finding the right players that will fit into their club. So they still have those picks that don't necessarily fit, and I think that shows how difficult it is to really find the right college player to find to fit into your club. But there's other teams that really don't look at college soccer or the draft as a huge help. And then that hurts everyone involved in the situation. So I think you're going to look at like a Toronto FC or Portland Timbers and their scouting efforts aren't great. And when they get to the draft, a lot depends on probably the connections they've made with college coaches. And that's not necessarily the best way to approach these types of things. And it definitely, at that point, hurts the players because you're playing players in situations where they probably don't fit. And the style of play probably doesn't fit what they're trying to accomplish, and the player doesn't probably fit into what's going on. So I think the MLS draft is, is a good idea for MLS to market itself like other American sports, but it really does not help the team or the players. And then a few more questions from me. Player you think will win Big Ten Player of the Year in men's soccer? I think Andrew Wolverton's going to take it. But the only the only caution I'll give to that is Bob Warning, the coach of Penn State's quote, have been about how great the team has been in front of him and how great the defense has been in front of Wolverton. And if you're a goalkeeper, you kind of need your coach to sell everyone else short and to make you seem better. Because... When you're making it seem like the goalkeeper is not doing his, not doing everything he has to do, or it's an accomplishment of all the team, it sort of downplays the accomplishment of the individual, and that that reflects on the coaches in the conference who are going to vote on this. So, I, I think Wolverton is probably going to need two or three more games where he basically stands on his head and makes five or six or seven saves and leads Penn State to another shutout victory. But right now, at this stage. I think he's my favorite, and I think that also attributes to the fact that I don't think there's been a huge breakout score yet in the Big Ten. So maybe if someone scores 
six goals over the last five games or whatever's left, maybe we'll have a conversation. But right now, I think Wolverton's the favorite to win it. And then how about for Big Ten freshman of the year? That's a good question. I, like, I'm not even sure who I'd pick at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I really, <laughs> I'm really not sure who I, I, I haven't. I don't think I've paid much attention to any freshmen that stood out to me. Oh, the, the Michigan State duo has done pretty well. Kralicki so, and Fiscus? Yeah, Fiscus has done well. How has Kralicki been lately? He's done pretty well. He, he's gotten a, a few assists here and there. Uh, Damon kind of subs him out uh, in and out of games. He's started some. He's come off the bench in some. But he's definitely held his own in the midfield. He's a, an aggressive player. He's not afraid to go in and tackle. He's got a few yellow cards. Um but I think he's really helped out the Michigan State defense, at least in the midfield, when the ball flows from the back to the to the middle and then to the front. Yeah, I, I think of those two, one of them is probably going to emerge. I think because Michigan State standing currently, and uh, Indiana has a couple of freshman contributors, so it might be one from Indiana or Michigan State. I'd look to those two programs to see who might emerge from the for the freshman of the year there. All right, JR. Well, I appreciate you uh, calling in and taking your time out of your busy day. And uh, uh, thank you. Thank you, Brooks. Thank you. Have a good day. You too.